0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the BusyDad.com podcast, a place for business dads to share advice, experiences, and stories of successes and failures as it relates to being a business owner, business professional, or an entrepreneur, all while still kicking ass in the dad game. We hope you like the show, and please subscribe to follow us to keep up with new episodes, and also be sure to check out BusyDad.com for merch, blogs and much more that's b-u-s-i-d-a-d.com cheers what's up my brother how you doing doing pretty good man good good pretty
1: man. excited about this
0: yeah yeah, well, we're excited yeah. to have you on. This is uh, our, our third episode of, of Busy Dad, and we're making international airwaves, man. We're, we're keeping the international airwaves hot this morning.
1: That sounds pretty awesome.
0: I think so, too, man. Let me introduce you to everybody. Today, I have as my guest, Mr. Aaron Collar, who is uh, active duty Navy, 22 years uh, in the service, and is also uh, got a side hustle as a business owner. Uh, in Yokosuka, Japan as a handyman, the American handyman in Japan. Say that. I said that wrong. Didn't
1: I? Yokosuka, Japan.
0: Yokosuka. See, look at that. That shows, uh, that how cultured I am. I live in Mississippi, man. We're allowed to mispronounce, uh, foreign countries, (laughs) names and stuff, cities. And so, uh, so yeah. So let's see. Been married 18 years, proud dad of two girls, 15 and 11, uh, been in the military 22 years, over two services. Uh, live in Yokosuka, Japan. You got seven months until retirement. Awesome. I bet you cannot wait until you uh, reach that goal. A uh, few failed businesses over the years. Without failure, you can't learn to grow. Uh, and you're currently the founder, owner, operator of Yokosuka Handyman and delivery service in Yokosuka, Japan. The American Handyman in Japan. I'm telling you, dude. When you retire, you're going to Hollywood and you're making the sitcom American Handyman in Japan. I'll I'll be one of the writers on it. We'll, we'll win some Emmys for that thing. <laughs>
1: that sounds pretty fun.
0: All right. So so tell me. Let's start out. Uh, let's start out with your military service. Uh, you said over two services. Uh, did you start Navy or where'd you start out at?
1: Uh, I started off actually in the Army National Guard. I left home when I was 17. Uh, I was like a 62 Echo combat engineer, um, which is kind of like a CB in the Navy, but you get to blow stuff up, too, and uh, work with heavy equipment. Uh, didn't really like it. Got out. Uh, had about six, nine months or so of broken service, and then uh, during that time, I was trying to go active duty and went, went in the Navy.
0: Awesome. So, actually, so, you know, and I knew I was uh, going to be uh, chatting with a, with a fellow sailor, so I, I had to wear my Navy hat. You know, I, was, I served uh, 2009 to 2013, uh, got out in 2013, uh, was stationed on the, the Jason Dunham. I was an East Coast sailor on a pre-COM destroyer uh, stationed out of Norfolk, Virginia. So uh, I, I was like, well, I'm going to be chatting with a with a fellow sailor, so I got to I gotta wear my hat. But I actually, I tried to do the opposite of you. Uh, before I got out, I was trying to use the blue to green. I, I'm sure you're familiar with the blue to green program, where you can go from uh, Navy to Army.
1: Yeah, I actually, uh, I got, I tried to do that too after I was in the Navy for a while. I tried to go to the Army Warrant Officer program, got accepted, because uh, I'd already been through the Army boot camp, I already knew all the Army stuff, and Got accepted to the board and uh, didn't uh, for a chief warrant officer and Navy wouldn't release me so.
0: Oh, that's. State Navy. Yeah, that sucks. I uh, saw so what I I had a uh, part of what I did. Uh, I was on the our ship's VBSS team, the visit board search and seizure team, and man, I lived that shit. I lived it. That's all. I didn't even care about being an LS. All I cared about was was working out and training and and getting better at, at shooting and. And, and tactical, just anything that I could do to get better. So as my, uh, as my, my chief and my first class and, and, the, and our supply officer, they started to realize my, my transition in uh, my interests uh, started to try to push me to apply for, for Buds or SWIC. And on my last eval before I got out, you know under the, the recommendations, it was you know Buds and SWIC were, were my recommendations. And I was like, I, I knew. And I, I, there was no way that I had buds in me. I was like, I know for a fact. Like, for one, I barely passed the swim day for VBSS when you have to do the rescue swim. I actually failed it the first time. I, I had to swim out. You know, you have to swim out, like, 50 yards, something like that. It might not be 50. It's probably, like, 25 yards. I think you got to swim, like, 25, 30 yards out. And then you, you grab your buddy who's supposed to be drowning, and then you swim them back. You you side-swim them back to safety, and, uh, and my, my buddy that I was going through the training with, you know, I was, I was probably 145 pounds going through this training. I, I was by far the smallest guy in the class. And my buddy was one of the biggest guys. He was probably about 220, 225, and he was who I was paired with. And 145 pounds trying to pull 230 pounds through the water You know, I, I, I didn't make it. So I I failed it the first time and and they were about to drop me from class. And I was talking to one of the instructors who was closer to my size. He was about a buck 85, buck 90. He said, we're going to give you one more chance. He's like, I'm going to, he's like, I'm going to be your, your rescue. He said, if you can, if you can get down there and you can get me and pull me to safety in time, we'll pass you. Unfortunately, I passed the second time with flying colors. So, but yeah, I was, so anyway, back to my, what I was talking about is, uh, I knew I wouldn't make buds. I knew I wouldn't make swick. I was like, I, I, I don't have this water, this underwater stuff in me. I was like, but I'm good with heights. So I tried to use, you know, my, my good evals and my, my training and my recommendations for buds and things like that to go use the blue to green program to try to go into like an airborne school. You know, I was like, I, I'd like to be a ranger called the army recruiter. And basically he said, that's, that's not how this works. He said, he said, it don't work like that. He's like, we don't really care what the Navy thinks you can do. We care about what we think you can do. So you can start out regular infantry or something like that. And then we'll go from there. And I said, no, that's not what I want. So I decided to come home and, and, uh, never look back. So, but yeah. So, uh, how long have you been in Yokosuka? Uh,
1: I've been in Japan about nine years off and on since 2000. Uh, I was four deployed on two ships out here and no, it's my retirement tour. finally got shore duty out here and <laughs> loving it. What's your rate? I'm a CTR. Okay. CTR oh,
0: 1. Yeah, secret squirrel stuff. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, you guys hide up there in your little hidey holes and, and do all that secret CIA type NSA stuff. I got you. I got you. Well, congratulations on getting ready to retire, man. Uh, I'm sure it's been a, been a long time coming. That's my heart goes out to you. One of the biggest things, you know, one of the biggest reasons I didn't stay in is, you know, I was young when I, when I joined, I, I got out at 23 years old. And, uh, I just remember when we were talking to, you know, our first classes and our second classes and our chiefs and everything, and they would tell us stories about coming back from deployment and how hard it was to, uh, to, to rebuild their relationship with their families, coming back from deployment, their kids and and their wives. And when they're, children were really young they talked about how they wouldn't even recognize them and remember who they were and i was like man there's just no way that i could handle that i could not mentally handle that tell me about your experience with with uh, with being a dad and going on deployment what's it been like for you to come back from these deployments and and have to to reintegrate with civilian society and and with your family and your children and your wife
1: yeah i've had to go through that a couple of times where you come back and you've been gone for so long the kids don't really know who you are it's tough like, it tears your heart out and you only do it so many times before you start you know really deciding that you know you've got to work on that work-life family balance and it's a really tough thing I deployed to Iraq and that was probably the hardest one I was in Iraq for a year and I got back and my uh, oldest daughter at the time uh, I left when she was two and when I came back she was three and like, before I left, man, we were thick as thieves. Me and her, we were just partners in crime, just pulling pranks and having fun. I finally had someone my mental age to play with. <laughs> and friggin', I get back, and like, that, that one really tore my heart out. That was the hardest one. It was the first time that that happened, you know, coming back from something. And uh, she didn't know who I was, and it was tough. And, uh, but you know, like, what so, are you going to do from there? You know, the yeah. only thing you can do. So is how do you, how do you over keep moving forward and, you know, rebuild that relationship with the kid and learn from it and try to do better the next time.
0: Right. So, so how do you overcome something like that? Like, how do you, how do you keep yourself assured that it's nothing you did wrong? Cause I know for me, it's something that I would feel like that I, I failed as a father fo- because I'm. I would feel like I failed, and, and so and I th- I feel like that's a really common thing that if your kids feel distant with you like that, it's got to be something that you really cannot beat yourself up about, but you really want to. So how did you, how did you reassure yourself that it was nothing you did wrong, that you were you were serving your country, you were you were protecting your family, and how did you keep the the mental strength and the, the, the fortitude to rebuild that relationship and make sure that you guys got back on a healthy path?
1: Honestly, it comes down to, for me, forgiveness, because it was my choice to go to Iraq. Like, in everything you do, you have a choice in the world. Whether or not you think you do or you don't, you always have a choice. You may not be willing to deal with the consequences of that choice, but you have a choice. So, once you can adjust your mindset to realizing that you have that choice and understanding that, then it helps you take ownership of that choice and so that realization, you know, that really gave me a huge guilt trip, a huge guilt complex about having to go out to sea and deployed to Iraq and missing, you know, birthdays and holidays and, you know, sometimes gone, not just months, but years at a time. It sucks, but it comes down to forgiveness. And it's not that, you know, you can feel that failure in yourself. You can feel that guilt in yourself, but at the end of the day what are you going to do you're going to roll over and just let it consume you no you got to forgive yourself learn from it and move on and just do the best you can for your kids and your family and you know try to build a future for them and make sure that you know they they know that they're loved and the internet being you know the way it is is every single day it becomes easier to keep in contact it wasn't like that a long time ago uh, so you just got to be able to forgive yourself and be able to really dig down and just keep moving forward. Because at the end of the day, you know, I'm here. i, I got to provide for my family. i got to make sure that, you know, they're going to be okay. And what am I going to do when my, I get back from deployment and my kid doesn't know me? I'm going to roll over? No. I'm going to do every single thing I can possibly do at the end of the day, be able to lay my head down at night and go to sleep and know when I did every possible thing I could to make sure that that relationship is rebuilt and make sure that they understand.
0: I like that. I like that. Forgive yourself, and as a and, and as a, as a father, that's one of the hardest things to do. I've learned is, is to be able to forgive yourself when when you do feel like uh, when you when you feel like the choice that you made might not have been the best choice. Uh, and I've been there a few times with the, my children. I've, my, mine are five, four, and I've got an almost six month old. And uh, and especially with the first, you know, with my five year old uh, learning how to be a first time parent, you know, is very, very hard to, to learn to forgive yourself. So I, I like that advice. Uh, what's uh, what's your retirement plans, man? What's uh, you going full time? Uh, Japan handyman or are you coming back to the States? What's uh, what's retirement plans look for, like for you?
1: Man, that's the thing is- uh, so after being in the military so long, I'm pretty institutionalized and I got to find me a real job now that I'm getting out and retiring. Um, it's, there's a lot of options out there, but trying to find a job, um, to do, you know, a main job, um, obviously we want to try to stay here in Japan if possible, whether I can get a GS position or a contractor position, really? um, there's a lot of different, yeah, my wife is, uh, she got family here and we got a lot of history here. My wife and I actually met here, uh, just actually a, a block down the road is where we met We're, uh, from where I live right now. We got engaged, the same house a block down the road. Um, so finding a job, there's a lot of different things that go into that. I, you know, I've never found anything that I couldn't do, I've always been able to figure out, Literally anything I try, I've been able to figure it out. So I'm not really worried too much about finding a job. It's more, you know, finding that healthy balance between, you know, what we want for the future, what we want for the future for our kids and where we want that to take place. So if I got to sacrifice, you know, you know, making a, more money back in the States versus making less money here to make that reality come true, then, you know, that's the sacrifice I'm willing to make. Because at the end of the day, you know, if you're doing something you love, then everything else is just fine. And you know, if I can make this handyman a full-time thing, then handyman delivery, that's sweet. I love it. I, I have a lot of fun doing it. How does how
0: does a how does a cryptologic technician <laughs> choose handyman like and over? Uh, I figure a side job would be some type of IT-related business, but so how did handyman come into play? Have you always just been good at fixing stuff, or?
1: I kind of grew up out in the sticks and, uh, and way in upstate New York. And my dad, he was kind of a jack of all trades, master of none, and you know he, he did construction and handyman stuff growing up, uh, when I was growing up. And so I've been doing it as long back, as far back as I can remember, like I remember you know, being on roofs with my dad, re-roofing houses, framing houses in, running wiring, plumbing, you know, pouring foundations, doing all kinds of stuff with my dad. And when I was in the Army, that's why I went with a uh, 62 Echo, because it was, you know, I got to build stuff, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, but then, you know, I was always in the sun, and I was like, I don't really want to break my back for a living for the rest of my life. I was like, what's the future? I was like, well, computers is the future. You know, this is back in 1999, and, uh, So uh, when I joined the Navy, I got into what I'm doing now and got really good at it. Uh, I'm one of the SMEs for the Navy right now in it. But you know, when I get handyman, just kind of came easy to me, and I kind of actually fell into it out here. I wasn't actually planning on making a business out of doing handyman and delivery stuff out here. It just kind of grew from.
0: Tell us about that. Nothing. Tell us about that. How how did you get this American handyman in Japan business rolling?
1: Well, I got one of those sweet little K trucks, the little Japanese trucks with the flat nose, flat bed, you know, yeah. like no leg room at all because I'm 6'3 and <laughs> it's built for a little Japanese guy. <clears throat> and I've always loved those little trucks. And I was like, man, you know what? I, next last time I go to next time I go to Japan. Well, give me one of those trucks. So this time I was like, that's my retirement for. I'm gonna give me one of those trucks. So I got me one, and my neighbor uh, down the street asked me to help her move some stuff. And so I helped her move some stuff, and she paid me some money. And and she told somebody, and it got to be where I was only doing deliveries at first. There was actually a Yokuska handyman already here. And you know, he was doing all the handyman stuff, and I didn't want to step on his toes. He had his own little side gig. But the delivery thing got to be really busy, and I got so busy. You know, at first it was just like once a weekend or once a month, and then, you know, it became, you know, my entire weekend was full every single weekend, and then I was having to do stuff during the week, too. And I got so busy, I actually ended up needing to get a second part-time guy, uh, and I put him on a like a contract basis under me uh, to be able to help out uh, with deliveries because I was just so busy. And then I started getting a lot of calls for the handyman stuff because uh, unbeknownst to me, the old handyman at PCS out of Japan. So I hit him up and I contacted him, asked him if he had turned over with anybody because I didn't want to step on anybody's toes and, you know, if he turned over with anybody because, you know, he had a pretty sweet gig and then said no you know i could take it so i started doing handyman stuff and at first it was you know a couple here and there and then people started talking to other people and you know word of mouth is the best the absolute best form of advertising because i mean i could put all the ads on facebook i want or on the internet but at the end of the day you know the neighbor telling the other neighbor or their friend that, hey call the handyman he can come and literally do whatever you, it is you need. And now I'm just constantly busy. I'm usually booked uh, two to three weeks in advance and i got a team of uh, four guys that work for me. I'm the, and, and I'm the fifth guy. Awesome,
0: man. I'm glad you said that about the, the word of mouth advertising because I was actually, I was having this conversation the other day and we were talking about marketing and, and advertising and, and what the most reliable forms are, and, and I agree with you that word of mouth is, is probably still the most reliable. And the, re- and the reason I believe that is, is I believe in order, for, in order for somebody to want to do business with you, in order for you to make a sale, uh, there's three levels of trust that have to exist. They have to trust you, they have to trust the product, and they have to trust the company. And so when you get word of mouth advertisement, that is the fastest way to break through those three barriers because somebody that they trust has already established those three levels of trust with you, 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 the the company, you and the product. So when somebody trusts, when they've already broken those three barriers and refer you to somebody or somebody has referred you to them that they trust, then you have immediately already established all three levels of trust that I believe you have to have to make a sale. So I, 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 i fully agree that word of mouth advertisement is the best have you did you did you get into any other do you have a billboard up anywhere uh is it early- i don't even
1: No, uh i carry around a few business cards i hand those out every once in a while when somebody asks me for them but literally every single aspect of my business uh, my advertisement has been word of mouth i haven't actually had to meet and i got you know four guys that work with me Um, I haven't had the need to do any kind of more advertising. Now, if I were to take this full-time, maybe, but as of right now, you know, being booked two, three weeks in advance on a consistent basis um, all the time, I haven't had a need to really do any other further advertising just because I've spent the last two and a half years, three years that I've been doing this, you know, every single customer, you know, making them sure that, you know, I build that relationship with them because at the end of the day, they're the ones that's going to call me back, right? A lot of these entrepreneurs, a lot of these business owners out there, they deal with a customer and maybe that customer rubs them the wrong way or, you know, they have a disagreement about something and, you know, they say, whatever, I got your money, you know, have a nice day or maybe not su- such a nice language, you know, but, at the end of the day, when that customer is hiring you, you're right, you know, it's, it, you got to got to get that level of trust because they're not just hiring you to do a simple job. Like probably the most common job I have, and this is a great example, is I get hired to hang pictures. I get hired to hang pictures in people's houses, and it's a job literally that anybody in the world can do. Right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't go an that far.
0: I wouldn't go that far because we'd probably have to hire you here. My wife actually fell down the stairs and broke her arm trying to hang a damn picture about four months ago. We had a two-month-old baby, and she's trying to hang a picture and fell down the stairs and broke her arm hanging a picture. So I wouldn't say anybody can do it because my wife would argue with you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, touche, correct. Uh, not anybody can do it, but <laughs> it's, it's a very simple job. Most people can do it, but why would they call me? To be able to, to do that for them, right? They're hiring me because you know they have that level of trust because you know they've been referred, they referred, got referred to me from you know their friend, right? And when you have a small community um, like what I what I have here, uh, not just military members but also off base Japanese as well, is that you know they know you, you've established that trust, but they also know that you're a professional. They know that when you go there you're not just going to be the typical you know i I don't know the stereotypical handyman that everybody thinks about as you know a drunk or you know they show up late uh, maybe they um are dressed you know horribly and yeah you're more professional yeah they're going to try to scam you for your money no they're hiring you because while it may be an easy job that can be accomplished by anybody but they're hiring you for that level of experience that you have and that relationship that you build with them. And when the, you know, the other companies, if they say, you know, they have a disagreement, oh, well you go on your separate way, already got your money. Well that person's never going to go with them again. right. But you have to adjust your perspective in that now the customer isn't always right. There is times that the customer is wrong. Absolutely. And I got no problem with confrontation and making sure to handle it and a respectful, in a professional way but the majority of the times if you know the customer is say I was moving a couch and I broke a light in somebody's house or I'm hanging something up and accidentally punctured a hole in their wall am I just going to leave that no I'm going to come back out of my own pocket I'm going to pay to fix that and that's going to you know and that tells the customer that hey you know what this guy really knows what he's doing but not only that he takes the time to and it takes a time that he's professional enough to make sure it's right. And you know what? At the end of the day, that customer is going to call me back. So instead of just, you know, saying washing my hands of it and being like, oh, I got your, you know, $50 for the job or whatever it was, you know, $100, $200 for the job, whatever it was. No, I'm gonna, I might lose a little bit of money, but at the back end, they're going to call me back to do another job for them. And they're going to refer me to, you know, a number of their friends. So while it may cost me, you know, five, ten, fifty dollars, you got to know where that break-even point is, and uh, you got to know when to cut your losses. But at the end of the day, you're going to make even more money on that job in the future by making sure you maintain that relationship and that level of trust. Yeah,
0: for sure. Yeah, for sure. It's always it's always better to to make sure you do the right thing and and don't burn bridges. Keep yourself in good standing. Make sure that, you know, ha- having. A good reputation in whatever industry that you're in is is by far more important than making money Cause it, because a good reputation will bring money, but money cannot bring a good reputation, so they're Absolutely. they're not interchangeable. Uh, one of the things I'm curious about is is is, is there a, a, a is there a language barrier when you're doing these jobs, or do you speak the local uh, language, or or what? How do you, or if not, how do you overcome that 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 gap?
1: Uh, There is a language barrier, especially when I'm out in Japan or when I'm dealing, even when I'm dealing with some of the people that are on base. um, You know, not everybody speaks English. There's Japanese people on base. There's Filipinos on base. Um, I speak a smattering of Tagalog. Excuse me. I understand a lot more than I can speak uh, just because my wife's Filipino. I've been married to her for 18 years, and, you know, you pick up a few things. Um, Japanese, I know a whole lot less but Google translate has been phenomenal. Like you can just speak into it now and it will translate it for you. And shout out to Google translate. Yeah.
0: Google's got everything.
1: Yeah. But when you, you know, I've noticed that with other cultures and other languages, if you really take the time to try to learn the language, um, you don't have to be fluent, but you really take the time to try to learn as much as you can. Um, People really respond to that because at the end of the day, they know English or they know, you know, a, enough English to, you know, try to greet you or, you know, they've learned that much to be able to try to greet you or whatever it is. Uh, so they know a few words or whatever it is. But out of all the languages in the world, you know, most of us that sit at home in the U.S., how many languages do you know? You know, right. have you made that effort? right it shows a respect to that you know foreign culture that you're in that you make that effort to try especially, to learn a
0: little bit yeah especially if you're integrated into their society
1: yeah yeah and I, the way I agree with that. japanese do business out here is a lot different than you know typically would in the US a lot of it is built on trust and relationships and versus contracts it's it's very much different
0: well, you said uh, you said you had some stories, man. Tell us a couple of tell us a couple of your your best handyman American handyman in Japan stories. I need to get a <laughs> pen so we can write this down. We'll we'll air them as episodes on our sitcom.
1: Uh, I gotta be careful with what I say. <laughs> um, I want to make sure I don't name any names. Um, well, one thing that's I find absolutely hilarious is that, uh, so I go into a lot of people's homes. I've seen so many different, I've probably seen almost every single home there is, you know, in most of the bases around here. Um, and then these jobs that I go for these customers, you go in and sometimes it's hanging a TV in the bedroom or pictures in the hallway or in the bedroom or setting up furniture or whatever it is, um, people are you notice a distinct difference between a lot of people. Some of them are very, very private, some of them are very sheltered, some of them are very open. And you know, as a business owner and having that day to day customer re- uh, relationship with everybody and having to go into their home, like they're trusting you in their home, right? They're trusting you around their kids, they're trusting you, you know, with their things. Uh, so you have to be careful with that. But some people, they just, they they don't care. I I can't even count how many times I've walked into somebody's house or bedroom to do, you know, some handyman work. And, you know, there's a a private toy just laying out in the open. Um, and I'm, I'm always pretend like I don't see it and just turn away. And I start going about my work. And I'll turn around and the person will just will have made it disappear. And, you know, I'm not, you know, it's fine. I mean, everybody's an adult. It don't bother me not at all. But sometimes I, I wonder if, you know, how they feel about it. You know what I mean? Because, you know, they know I was coming. Everybody has a reservation, but it's like, you know, why do they leave those things out? You know what I mean? So you're better than me. I couldn't I couldn't walk into a situation like that
0: and just leave it. I'd, I'd have to make some kind of comment. I'd be like, oh, I didn't know you were providing the tools or something. I'd have to come up with something to say. There'd, there'd have to be some type of comedic situation going down.
1: Uh, I I've thought about it, but <laughs> I'll never do that because at the end of the day, right, uh, these are my customers. They're trusting me, right? If somebody where to find something like that in my house and that I know and I trust and they made a comedic joke about it, that'd be fine. But if it was, you know, a handyman or a stranger coming into my home that, you know, I just got referred from a friend and he saw something like that in my house, I might hit him in the face. <laughs>
0: Man, I'll tell you, I had like, a, one of the funniest things that's ever happened to me is I was a, uh, this was about right after I moved to Mississippi. I'd lived here for about a year. And I've got, uh, I've got two <laughs> dogs now, but at the time I only had one dog. And uh, I got her right after I got out of the Navy. Her name's Abby. And, uh, and every time I'd come home, Abby stayed in the backyard. I had a big fenced-in backyard. And every time I'd come home, she would just bring me something, a stick or a ball. Like uh, her entire life revolves around playing fetch. All she cares about. She doesn't want you to pet her. She doesn't want to love on you. All she wants is for you to throw something for her to go chase. And I came home from work one day, and I, I lived alone. I mean, it was just me and, and Abby, my dog. And she'd been in the backyard, and I come home, and she comes running up to me. And she's got something purple hanging out of her mouth. And I'm like, what is that? Did she find a new toy, and she comes running up with just this big, massive, purple basically it was a big purple sex toy. And I was just like, get that out of your mouth. I was like, where did you get that? Like she's in my fenced in backyard. Somebody had to have like actually thrown this thing into my yard. And she didn't, she didn't know no better. She's just sitting there just as happy as could be. Well, happy. I was home wanting me to throw this thing so she could go fetch it. But, uh, that's, uh, too that, bad
1: you didn't know where it got thrown from. You could have returned it to sender. <sighs>
0: No, 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 I wasn't touching it. No, it was she. I let her keep it. I was like, you know what? You can keep it, but I'm not throwing it. She chewed that thing into a million pieces. So, you let her
1: lick your face afterwards, did you?
0: No, I don't <laughs> let her do that anyway. I know where her tongue's been. I don't let her do that anyway. Uh, so man, <laughs> let's talk about uh, COVID. What is COVID like over there? What What's going on? I mean, all we see in America is what's going on here. And of course, you know President Trump loves to talk about China. So we either hear about America or China, and that's it. We don't know. We don't really hear anything else about it anywhere in the world. So what's what is living in a 2020 COVID nineteen world like in Yokosuka, Japan?
1: Um, COVID day to day life. It's you know we're dealing with it just like everybody else in the world. You know, just trying to be smarter being cleaner and wearing our mask and you know especially in customer homes you know we got a responsibility to make sure that you know we we protect our customers like i see a lot of people every week um i've had to kind of limit my interactions um with people because we're only allowed you know so many interactions um per two weeks we have to keep a keep a close contact log and as part of the restrictions with the base to be able to operate Really? Um, Yeah. So, but as with all my guys that I have working for me, it hasn't really affected it too much because everybody's a part-timer. Everybody does a part-time. But when COVID first came out, in the first three months where it kind of really started affecting things here in April, like everything kind of shut down. Like everything stopped for about three months in the beginning um but with any challenge you know the entrepreneur they have to realize that you know it presents an opportunity as well so with three I, I was looking at you know I had jobs scheduled for a month out I remember all of April and suddenly I couldn't go to any of those jobs right so I had to figure out different ways to be able to do things and keep you know. Keep that customer relationship and keep things going um, while I was forced to stay home, and it was awesome, honestly, being able to stay home. Um, I got to do knock off everything on my honey-do list up to that point. You know, being a handyman, I get paid to do a lot of different jobs for other people, but you know, my some of the jobs that I need to do around my house always kind of fall by the wayside because nobody's paying me to do them do you uh but um, do
0: you live on base or are you out in in uh out in town or i live on base i got you so do you all have uh explain how liberty works over there you know are you are you guys allowed to live off base in town do you do you have to live on base when you're stationed there how, how does that work
1: uh it really depends on what's going on um it goes in cycles it depends on how full the base housing is and um COVID has played a lot of played a huge factor in it. it depends on how big your household is how many pets you have so like you can't really say definitively um whether you're going to live on base or off base um there, there's just so many things that go into it it's, re, it's really hard to you know pin anything down for sure
0: have you have you lived off base at all in the in the time you've been there
1: yeah, I was stationed out here two other times, both uh, when I was on the ship, uh, both sh- two ships out here, and both of those times I lived off base, and I really loved living off base. Honestly, I think it's a little safer living off base than it is on base.
0: Really? Um, yeah. Why is that? You're on an American base. You should be. You should be like the safest place you can be.
1: You you think so? <laughs> Like, when I, when I talk about safety, I mean, it, it is very safe on base. Don't, don't get me wrong. You're not going to get mugged. You're not going to get, you know, harassed. You know, it's safe on base. Japan has built a culture around something they called WA, which is consciousness of others, right? So Japan has been one of the most honest and safe countries I've ever visited in my life. And so... Uh, case in point, I was living off base, and I had, and Netflix wasn't really a thing yet, and I had a stack of movies, uh, DVDs that I'd rented from the base video store sitting on top of my car, and I forgot about them, drove off, drove to work, and they were all Blu-ray, brand new. Um, i just gotten them, and I came back home later on in that day, and I was like, oh, man, I lost them, right? You lose something like that in the States or your wallet, it's gone. You ain't gone. finding it. It's gone. I came back, and every single one of those DVDs was in a little plastic baggie hanging on my door. Lost my wallet one time on the train. Contacted the – went to the train uh, to the train station, and you know what? They were able to tell me exactly which train stop had my wallet, and I would be able to go and get it, and wow. all my money would still be in it. Wow, you lose your wallet on base, you probably not. You probably get your wallet back if you lose it on base, but you may not have the money left in it. You know what I mean? Um, I had my wallet.
0: I had my wallet stolen in my own debt. Like so, when I was on a pre-com, right, and so our ship was still being built up in Maine, and I'd been with my command like a month, maybe two months, and so we had this little debt area that we all worked out of. It was a it was a little building on base, and there was about. Thirty of us that were waiting to to transfer up to Maine, where the ship was being built, and so I had this routine every day. I'd come in, I'd take my cover off, I put my cover down on the desk beside the computer that I use. I put my wallet and my keys in my cover, and then that was. And then when I it would stay there while I did all my uh, uh, what were they called? Nkos, is that right? The, yeah. the, the Navy, NKOs. oh my God, those things were terrible. That's all we did. So the whole day while I'm sitting there doing NKO my wallet and my keys would sit in my cover by my computer. And uh, one day, I just got up to go to lunch, picked my cover up, my keys were in it, and my wallet wasn't. And I was like, well, that's not right. My wallet's supposed to be in there. So I started checking. I was like, no. I was like, I know I put it in there. I put it in there every day. And uh, and there was only, you know, 20, 25 of us maybe in this, de- in this room and So I had to go to our, our master chief was the one that was down there with us, kind of, you know, our CO and XO had already gone up to, no, I think our XO was down here too. And uh, I went to him and I, well, I went to my chief first and I said, you know, uh, my my wallet was stolen out of my cover over here. I had it sitting on the desk and she's, and then everybody was like, are you sure you didn't just lose it? I don't think, and I was like, I I promise it was in there. So I pulled up my Navy federal bank account because it was lunchtime and I was like, well, let me just look and see if anything's happened. And sure as shit, while I was sitting there talking to them about my wallet being stolen, somebody had used my debit card at the Hardee's down the street to buy lunch. And I was like, see, look, somebody's using my card right now at Hardee's. And they, they had to lock the command down. that Nobody ever coughed up my wallet, but the XO, I think we were there till about 8 o'clock that night because the XO put it on lockdown, and he wouldn't let anybody go home until somebody fessed up with who stole my wallet, but nobody nobody ever fessed up, never got my wallet back. And these were all, these were 20, 25 people that I ended up serving. Well, a couple of them were being phased out for problems, but most of them were people that I ended up serving for four years with on the ship. And yeah, right there, my own, my own community, my own people that I was going to be living with for four years. One of them needed lunch bad enough, I guess, to, to take my wallet and that was my first impression on the command. I was known as the guy who got his wallet stolen, and nobody could go home. And I was very popular, <laughs> to say the least.
1: I'm sorry, man. That sucks.
0: Yeah, I mean it is what it is. You learn a lesson, and you know you learn a lesson about, you know, when you're in the military and when you're in the navy. You know, I don't, I don't know how it is in the army, but in the navy, you learn that there's about 95 percent of those people that you serve with become you become family you become your brothers and sisters you 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 develop a really really strong bond with that you especially inside your division like the guys that i was in my supply division with that i was an s1 with we still get online on playstation and we play games you know at night you know once every couple of weeks we'll get online and, and we'll play games together and uh, Or, you know, we, we do a fantasy football league every year. We're all in a fantasy football league together. You know, and, I've, and this was, I got out almost eight years ago, and we're still doing this. You know, so you really develop a, a really strong bond with a lot of them. But you also learn yeah. that about five, that 5%, there's, there's a couple of them that they wouldn't piss on you if you were on fire running down the P-Way. Like they're just there because they don't they don't have another choice. They're collecting their check. They're riding it out for as long as they can, and and just hoping to 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 skate by. And uh, and so you kind of you learn pretty quickly. Which who's who's who? Yeah,
1: and you get pretty paranoid about locking all your stuff up all the time because you don't want that to happen to you. You know, one of my leaders, the very first tour in the Navy, he told me, "Lock your crap up because." you know, he'd been in for, you know, forever. He told me as a leader, he spends 95 to 96% of his time dealing with the 5% of the problem childs of who, you know, that are in the Navy. And yeah, he told me, he's, I've been religious about locking my stuff up all the time. Cause I do not like to get stuff stolen. It, it's, it sucks.
0: Yeah. I'm the same way. There's I, I, I hate a thief like that. There's one thing that, you know, I cannot stand, so there's, like, liar, like, okay, so I, like, with my family, with my kids, and and my kids will tell you that daddy does not tolerate lying. Like, I don't care what it is, if I don't, you know, my children are very young, but I'm trying to instill this in them at, at, as early as possible, that we, we don't lie in this house. I don't care what it is, if you did something wrong, you did something wrong, but you're going to be in so much more trouble if you lie about it then if you don't and and oh, yeah. and but outside of my family the you know i cannot stand somebody that that would that would steal anything from somebody i can, i put thievery up there with murder i mean and i i know that's really dumb and it's really stupid to say something like that but i mean and it's not so much it's not so much because it's a your it's not it's not the possession. It's not that oh man, they stole this and I really love that possession. It's the fact that there's that 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 person is so inconsiderate of other people that they just would violate you know another person like that. That they would do something like that to another person. It shows such an extreme disregard for their fellow man that I hold them to the highest standard of being scum, you know.
1: So. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it breaks that level of trust and. It speaks straight to their humanity of the type of person they are. They're like, the type of person that, you know, they take their, after they get their groceries, they just leave their cart in front of another car or they yeah. leave their cart, yeah. you know, out there. They don't take the time to put it back because, you know, it's the right thing to do. They, they just care about nobody but themselves.
0: I'll give you an example of, of, cause I do go over, I'm, I'm very, I go overboard with some things, and this and, and, and that's one of those things that that I kind of overreact to is, is thievery. And I'll give you an example. You'll probably get a kick out of this, but this is how bad I am about how much I hate this shit. I was at Walmart yesterday, and uh, I had to go get some groceries, and I was coming out of Walmart with my groceries. And I was walking up the aisle. You know, Walmart's one way. One way is this way. One way is the other way. It's one way aisles except for, like, the main aisle. So I had part coming towards the store you know, down a one-way aisle, and I was about three-quarters of the way back. And I could see in this aisle, uh, there was this little old lady in her car with about four cars behind her waiting to park because there was a car pulling out of a parking spot up close. So this little old lady, for who knows how long, had been driving around this parking lot trying to get her a close-up parking spot because all the handicapped spots were full in that area. So this car was backing out. And this little lady was sitting there getting ready to pull in and this little shit ass Honda Civic comes flying in the wrong way, down the one way, weaves around the car backing out, cuts off this little old lady and then backs in to this parking spot. that This old woman had been sitting there waiting on and I'm watching this shit and I'm putting my groceries in my truck. And it just, I was furious and it didn't even affect me. It didn't even affect me. I I was, I had nothing to do with me, but I see these two young guys jump out of the car and I was pissed. I was like, and this, this old woman, she just looks at me and she just puts her hands up. Like, what am I going to do? And I was like, I don't know. People, people are shitty. I'm sorry, woman. Like I, was like, I did So shit like that. Just the general inconsiderate, you know, people just, and, and it's, I think it's more so now than ever. You know, we live we live in a generation and a time, and I think social media has a lot to do with it. You know, we, we live in a day and age where people are so used. What is it that Mike, is it Mike Tyson that talks about, you know, you, people can talk on social media because you're not there to punch them in the mouth. Like, people are so used <laughs> to being able to act reckless without being held accountable because of social media that it carries over into their day-to-day reactions. You know, people become this click on Facebook and they they lose the humanitarian side of of life, you know, and people become so less or so inconsiderate of their fellow man, especially now. I mean, you know, I I work in sales and I go out and, and, you know, I'm out on the streets all the time. I'm always out building relationships. I also work in an entertainment industry. You know, I, I have a birthday party venue and we host birthday parties and so I deal with with children on the regular basis and I deal with parents on a regular basis and I just it's crazy when you when you start to have conversations with people now and you you sit there and you talk to them and you're like like do you do you know how to have a civilized conversation with somebody or I mean because everybody seems to be the most important person in the world now so it sounds like uh, it sounds like what you what what did you call this idea this ideology that they that they have based their society around?
1: Oh, uh, in Japan, wa wa service of others.
0: Okay, yeah, wa. All right, that we need we need a little bit of wa around here. That is for sure. We did. We need a little. I bit agree of with that. you
1: hundred percent. It is it is unreal living over here. Like. People are just, they're just considerate. It's so nice. And, you know, me having teenage daughters and, you know, we we do kind of live in a bubble over here, us Americans that are over here because, you know, we're a small community of Americans living in a foreign country. But the amount that the foreign country's culture has infiltrated our bubble of society of Americans it's 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 amazing how much it has infiltrated us because the communities they really respond to that culture. So unfortunately in the US that culture doesn't really exist. So I I I say everybody, you know, if they get it's a, a very... chance to they need to come and visit Japan and just experience that culture and experience that because it'll completely change their perspective and everything. They'll go back home to the US and You know it'll change everything about you know not just their life but their friends lives and everybody that they interact with because people need to be able to adjust their perspective and realize that you know what they are not the only person in the world that selfishness isn't going to get them anywhere except lonely because it's going to push everybody away from them um a lot of people, and,
0: and it's you're right, it's a very me-first attitude that, that, that a lot of people carry. But I think a lot of it, too, is, I think a lot of it probably comes from, you know, the the ideology of, well, if I don't have my back, nobody will. Like, I, like nobody's looking out for me but me, so I've got to put me first. And I can understand that, you know. I mean, I, I've, I've been in situations in my life where I've learned that, sometimes you are all you have to depend on. There is no, there is nobody else that's going to pull you out of whatever situation you may be in or that, that, that you're drowning in. But I think sometimes people carry that attitude for so long or they might carry it in the wrong way or they might go too far with it to where it's okay, well, now I'm the only person that matters, you know? And I think when you cross that bridge to where you go from, well, I come first and then you cross over the bridge into, well, I'm the only one that matters. Uh, that's when you start to see a lot a lot of problems. And you, and those people are very easy to pick out. You can, I mean, within seconds of having a conversation with someone, you can tell whether or not they are the, I'm the only person that matters type or not.
1: Yeah, I think a lot, of, I agree with you hundred uh, percent, but I wanna bring it back to what you said earlier about accountability. Because that is a huge, I think, a huge part of it. Because nobody is, you know, these people aren't holding themselves accountable. Nobody else is going to hold themselves accountable. That, those guys in the Honda Civic that cut, cut off that little old lady, Well, legally they didn't do anything wrong, unless, you know, maybe they went down the wrong side street, but who's going to hold them accountable? Nobody. Right. You know, people need to be able to hold themselves accountable but yeah. the problem is, is when you know somebody else calls those people out to try to hold them accountable, it's a, it's a sense of victimhood that society has perpetuated yeah. that, you know, as soon as you claim that you're the victim of something or uh, somebody wrong you, then, you know, automatically you can get away with anything. And that's, you know, and that's not right.
0: Yeah. I mean, no, you're right. You're and you're right. Self-accountability is extremely important because you know, I'll be honest. Yeah, I, I didn't. As as mad as I was and as furious as I was to see what was happening in front of me, uh I part I was like, Man, go say something, go say something to them and then the back of my mind I was like, No. I've seen I know the news, I know what's going on in the world and the last thing I need is to get shot in the damn Walmart parking lot because because this little old lady got her her parking spot stolen. So, you know, that so yeah. It, it is really hard because, you know, it's really hard these days to, to find the accountability and you know, to find people that hold themselves to the same standards. Well, and I think a lot of it too is, is if you hold, is expecting people to hold themselves to the same standards that you do. And that's something that, that I struggle with is I hold myself and I hold my family, my children, my wife, uh, I hold us to a higher standard. And this is something that even inside my own family that we struggle with, you know, my children, I hold my children as young as they are to a a really high standard. Uh, But my children are extremely spoiled. It's one of those things that's like, you know, that's what I tell my wife. I was like, we will have the most well-behaved children when we go out. However, we also will have the most spoiled children. Like, I, I will spoil my kids all day long. They get to do all kinds of fun stuff. Like, I've taken my son on a cruise. We take him on trips. Uh, You know, they, they, they have never known a day of not having, but I also hold them to a high standard. We don't throw fits in public. We don't act ignorant. We don't, you know, lie. We don't cry for no reason. And, you know, even though they're toddlers, they're learning and, and they're, but every once in a while, my wife has to remind me and I keep, I call her my wife. She's my fiance. We haven't gotten married yet, but we, we pretty much are married uh, but, well,
1: Congratulations,
0: man. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, She has to remind me. She's like, Cody, they're toddlers. They're four and five years old. And I, And she has to put me in check sometimes. And and so uh, I think a lot of it, you know, too, a lot of the bridge amongst us, or excuse me, a lot of the, the gaps amongst us that we have to bridge is understanding each other and understanding that everybody comes from a different background. And you can't expect – everybody that you meet or everybody that you come across in life to hold themselves to the same standard that you hold yourself to. And that's something that I struggle with. That's something that when I see something and I'm like, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have done that to that person. That seems rude. That seems disrespectful. And there's been a lot of times where I've thought that and that thought has hit my mind. I've looked around at the people around me and none of them seem to have an issue with whatever just happened. And I'm like, okay, apparently I need to chill out (laughs) like apparently I'm I need to relax a little bit on this I'm being a little bit too uptight and and I have a lot of those teachable moments uh you know and I I think that's the biggest thing that we've got to to do you know especially in America is understand that we're not all the same we all come from different backgrounds we all were raised differently Uh, and we all have a different moral code of ethics and and just really try to to bridge those gaps between ourselves and, and and help build each other up as a society instead of tearing each other down.
1: Absolutely, man. And Ninety, I would say 98% of most conversations and arguments that happen and disagreements that happen between people isn't necessarily that people want to fight, but it's more of, you know, they have a hard time understanding the difference between hearing and listening and, uh, that coupled with the accountability and that, uh, victimhood thing, you know, they don't necessarily want to hear what you had to say. And, you know, your perspective, that interaction is you expect the other person to react how you would react and that's an automatic fallacy that we all have and that really cha- you know it really hits home with you know you got to make sure you understand that perspective within yourself and remember that because i forget all i forget it all the time and that people aren't going to react the way i expect them to react and if i can remember that and understand that then that argument or that interaction that could potentially be volatile may not happen because you know Marriage is the same thing. Me and my wife has all the time, but it's usually because I expect her to react how I would react. And she expects me to react how, you know, she would react. And we don't do that. We got to remember that each person is an individual person. And you know, that gap is really hard to bridge.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more, man. Well, listen, I appreciate you being on. You want to leave any final words of wisdom for, uh, Anybody considering the Navy or considering moving to Yakuska, or a handyman, anything? What you got for us on, uh, on closing words?
1: Uh, closing words, well, get out of your hometown. <laughs> That's Go and see the world, because the perspective that you may have, wherever you at, is narrow. You need to adjust your perspective need to go out, see the world, experience different cultures, open your mind, um, and really just go for it. You're going to fail. I failed. I failed many times. But you know what? Every single failure leads to a success because you learn from it. You know, people say, oh, I failed. I don't want to start over and, you know, you know, do the same thing over again. Well, the definition of idiocracy is, you know, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results but when you fail, you ain't starting over. You might try something new, but you're starting with more knowledge, more experience and more perspective. So don't be afraid to fail. Get out there, change your perspective, chase your dreams, and be happy.
0: That's right, I agree. I saw a quote yesterday uh, actually about that. It was Muhammad Ali quote and it said, you, you don't lose by getting knocked down, you lose by staying down, so. Yeah. I agree with that. Well, listen, man. Thanks for being on the show. We love having you on. You'll have to come back on again. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, stay safe over there in uh, Yokosuka, Japan. Uh, be sure to, to keep track of of all the the exciting adventures of the of the American handyman in Japan. So that uh, when you do retire, we can uh, we can head over to Hollywood. I'll I'll be your agent, man. I'm telling you, we can get on we can get on TV with this. It's it's it can happen. So anyway appreciate you being on everybody thanks for tuning in uh, to another BusyDad.com podcast uh, please if you like the show follow us subscribe to follow the show go check out our website we've got merchandise we've got blogs we're going to have podcasts posted uh, feel free to subscribe to our email listing and uh, we'll be posting more episodes as we go and until next time appreciate it and we'll talk to y'all soon